Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. Praise God. We want to take a moment and just, we want to welcome everybody that's here today. We're glad that you are joining us uh, uh, in person. Amen. We always love that. And then also we, we uh, really uh, do love the, our online community that joins us online every Sunday. Uh, we appreciate you as well, and we welcome you today. We want to release all the teenagers, junior high, high school. If you are junior high, high school age, you can go. Follow Alex out, and they'll go out to the youth room. Amen. Praise God. Man, God's in this place. Can you say amen to that? I just feel like he wants to do something. You know, this morning, it's really funny. I, this morning, I, I, uh, in, the, in the worship service this morning, I really felt God moving on me. And, and I shared with the 830 service, I said, it's, it's one of those things where it's very difficult to explain because sometimes the feelings you get when God moves on you, it's hard to put it into uh, a language. It's hard to uh, articulate what you're exactly feeling. Uh, the best I can get to is that I feel in my spirit that God truly wants us to encounter him, that he truly wants to become part of our lives, that he truly wants to <clears throat> be our spiritual father, that he wants to be involved. There's a song that was uh, written years ago, and, and in this song, the woman that's singing it, she, she kind of went off the lyrics of the song and went into kind of just a time of worship. But in that moment, God had given her a revelation, and, and, and she said these words, and it has always stuck with me, that God is wrapped up in the details of our life. God is not a God that is just the God of the mountains, the big things. The Bible says that he's also the God of the valley, that place where it seems so small, insignificant, that it doesn't really matter. And it's kind of like we, we come to that place where we go, well, why do I need to bother him with this? Because he is your everlasting loving father. He loves you and he is wrapped up in the detail of your life and he wants to be a part of all that's going on. I actually better said, he doesn't want to just be a part, he wants to be everything. He wants to be your life, can you say amen? And so often in our lives we are content and, and please don't misunderstand me today because I'm, I'm, I'm not shooting this out as some sort of, 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 of uh, against you or, or to come against, but I, I want to encourage you. So many times we want to make God a part that we, we save him a little sliver. And God says, I don't want a little sliver. I want the whole thing. I want all of you. And the, the truth is, is when, when we surrender to that, when we come into that place where we bow our knee and say, God, you can have it all, I'm telling you, things begin to change. Things begin to happen. God begins to move in a way that is just un believable. It's unspeakable. That's why he says that. He says it's unspeakable, full of glory. And I want you to think about something. You know, that word glory is such a powerful thing. Often Jesus, when he encountered people and did miracles in their lives, whether it was a miracle of healing or deliverance or, or whatever it might have been, whether it was feeding the 5,000 or the 4,000 or whatever, Jesus often said these words, the glory of God has come that you have experienced in that moment when you were healed, in that moment when you were delivered, in that moment when God uh, uh, spoke to you, the glory of God, the kingdom of God. 
And so when he says in Scripture, it's you know, unspeakable and full of glory, they, what is he talking about? He's talking about a presence that we can't even put into human language. That's what God wants. And the problem is, church, is so often we come to a place in our lives where where we go to church and we go to, we, you know, we live these dualities. We have our Sunday life and then we have our week life. You know what I'm saying? It's the Monday through Saturday. We, we just live our life and we do our thing and then we come and we remember God for a couple hours and then we go do our thing. And God says, no, no, I want to be involved in all of your life. I, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to show you great and wonderful things. I want to show you things that will blow your mind. He even says, he calls us and he says, come, let us reason together. Think about that statement for a moment that you and I have the ability as human beings to come into the very presence of God and reason with him. That we can actually have a conversation, an intelligent conversation with God, the creator of heaven and earth. You have that capacity. You are something special. Say that with me. I'm special. Say it again like you mean it. I'm special. You have something inside of you. When Jesus, when God uh, created Adam, the Bible says that he took uh, dirt and he formed a man and he, he shaped him. And then the Bible says that he breathed into him and man became a living soul. The thing that separates us from every other created thing is that we have the essence of God in us. God breathed in us. We are far much, we are far much more than what we thought we were. Can you say amen? Now listen to what I'm saying. I, I, I'm not trying to give us a head trip so that we go off and become our these little demagogues and all of that kind of thing. I'm talking about that when we walk in unison in fellowship with God, you and I become the children of God, the heirs of the kingdom, joint heirs with Christ. Can you say amen? And see, that's what I feel in my spirit. I feel that's what God wants us to get a hold of because he has so much more for us. Can you say amen? amen. He has so much more. And I think so often we are so um, uh, quick to be satisfied with so little. You know, the statement is that we've done so much with so little for so long, we can do almost anything with nothing. And that has never been the plan of God. God is a God of abundance. Can you say amen? And God wants to pour out more into you and more into you. There will never be a time when you'll get to the end of God. That's why we are with him for eternity. It will take forever to discover who he completely is. When we've been there, the song says, 10,000 years will have just begun. Well, let me up the ante. When we have been there 10 trillion years, we will have just begun. Can you say amen? There is no time in heaven. There is no passing of time in heaven. Why? Because time is a created thing, and time is a measurement of change, and God does not change. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You say, why are you saying all of this, Pastor? I'm saying this because God is saying, I want you to come up a little higher. I want you to come up and be a little bit more. I want you to come up and accomplish more. And you say, well, I don't know if I can even handle what I got. You're right, you can't. But with him, you can do all things through Christ, which strengthens you. Can you say amen? With him in conjunction with his power, his glory, his kingdom, you are unstoppable. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I feel that in my spirit. I feel like what God wants to do is he wants to take you.
And he wants to you to move into a place of significance with him. He wants you to see the significance that already exists in you. And this is why I've been doing what I've been doing this last couple weeks. Uh, you know, Andy preached last week, and he did a great job. Let's give Andy a great big hand. He did a great job. But you know what? The, I finished up last week, and I told you that sermon last week was going to be the last one in our series on spiritual warfare. Well, I was kidding. <laughs> Just joking. And I came to my conclusion, I came to my, uh, a place where I, I really begin to think that, well, wait a second, this is not complete. Because this spiritual warfare that we're fighting, we are fighting this dynamic, this battle. And what the battle is, is there is a desire of the enemy to keep us down to keep us limited, to keep us benign, to keep us uh, impotent, if it were, powerless. But what God wants us to do is he wants us to be empowered. He wants us to be more. He wants us to come up. He wants us to change the world. Can you say amen? amen. And this is that spiritual battle, and the devil is doing everything he can. And you know what? We're accustomed to the, the, the language of spiritual warfare, like binding and loosening pleading the blood of Jesus, confessing, all those things. But sometimes what happens is we come into that battle unprepared. And so the first week I told you that what we really need to do is we need to learn to submit under the hand of the Almighty. We need to come under, completely come under the influence of the Father so that we can resist the devil. Then I told you the next week, I told you that what we need to do is be strong in the power of His might. <clears throat> that we got to refuse trying to do this on our own. And then I told you uh, two weeks ago that it's possible to be clean and in order, yet still empty. That if we're going to win this battle, that we've got to fill our lives with the things of God. And I thought we were done there. But much to my surprise, we are not. And there's one more subject that I feel we need to consider in the context of spiritual warfare that is necessary, and that is the words that we speak. Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> there are some verses in the Bible that are so clear that it's amazing that we miss it by so far. Can you say amen? amen. And there's a verse in the book of Proverbs that says this, in Proverbs 18, 20, and 21, it says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied by, from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruit. I want you to listen to that for a moment. He says, you will eat the fruit of the words that you speak. What does that mean? Words are seeds. Every time you talk, every time you open your mouth to speak, you are sowing seed. I don't care if you are talking to yourself in the bathroom, singing in the shower, arguing to the face in the mirror, arguing with your neighbor. I don't care if you are walking on the back 40 
with nobody around and you are shaking your fist at the heavens and declaring something out of your mouth. I don't care if it's on Stockton Hill Road in the gauntlet right there by Walmart and you're wondering why in the world the people that designed our city designed that nightmare like that and you are talking, I'm telling you, you are sowing seed into the soil of your life. And those words are going to produce something and you are going to eat the fruit. Now here's the thing. When you sow corn, it's really fun to eat corn on the cob. But when you sow skunkweed, it ain't so fun to eat. (laughs) Have you ever ate something and you went, whoa, and you spit it out? You went, man, that's horrible. What in the world were they thinking when they made that? There's a fruit. It's called durian fruit. You ever hear of it? I think it's from the Philippines. Is that right, Andy? Am I pronouncing it right? It's, and it's from the Philippines. And when they, you cut it open, it smells like an outhouse. But they say it tastes like heaven. The problem is I'm not getting past that smell. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) The reality is, church, you eat the fruit. In other words, the fruit of your words is impacting your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so the reason that I thought that this was important is because our words carry enormous importance in our everyday life. They are not the harmless, innocuous little tidbits that fade in and out of our lives with little or no impact. They can be sharp as a surgeon's scalpel and they can be deadly as a smart bomb guided by laser accuracy. Our words can be filled with life or they can be filled with death. How many know what I'm talking about? And in many ways, our words, our conversations, the the, 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 the topics of our discussion and our verbal reactions have, in some ways, have become flippant and casual and even careless. But the problem is, church, those words are shaping and forming your life. And the reason that they become flippant is because either we are unaware of their power or we have grown unconcerned about their impact. And the result is our words have become dangerous And if there is one area that I think that I struggle with the most, it's right here, my mouth. See, I I, I could tell you, if somebody walked up to me and says, let's go get drunk, it don't mean anything to me. Probably not. I'm not going. I only say probably because, you know, hey, I'm not perfect. But I'm not going. Hey, let's go get loaded. No. I remember when I was seven, I had a high fever, it jumped up to 105, and I hallucinated. And I ran around the house at seven years old thinking my dad was a great big green monster. And I remember that, and I remember people would tell me, they, you know, get later on in high school, they said, man, I had a hallucination. I'm like, count me out. I don't, what, why would you want to do that? Why? It was not fun. I've solved that problem. Immoral behavior, I, I don't want it. It's not my problem. But you know what my problem is? How we talk. Even in the 830 service, I noticed there were moments when I wanted to say things and thank God for Holy Spirit. 
Because he was right here, standing right here. He, th- th- I'm standing here about ready to say something stupid, and he's going, you really going to say that while you're preaching this message? <laughs> nope, I ain't saying it. The reality is what gets us in trouble is our mouth. Our mouth. You say, why is that? Look at this verse of Scripture. Matthew, this is our text. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. He said, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by the words of your mouth you'll be justified, or by the words of your mouth you'll be condemned. Wow, that's powerful. That's Jesus speaking. Those, those words are in red in the Bible. That's Jesus speaking. He's saying, look it, I want to give you some inside information. You know what's going to cause the most havoc in your life? Your own mouth. You know, we blame the devil for a lot of stuff. And sometimes I could see the devil going, I didn't do nothing. You did it. You're the one that spoke that into existence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so somewhere along the line, church, we have got to come to a place where we stop underestimating the power of our words. I think we've just forgotten. I think for many of us, we just, and I don't even know if it's such a thing of, of some sort of deliberate thing like we've just, I think it's just that we've grown so accustomed to speaking what we want that we don't connect the dots and go, wait a second, the way I'm speaking is creating a reality in my life. See, I want, I want you to think about this for a minute. I'm going to probably have to get off these notes, so hang on with me. So I want you to think about something for a moment. Think about the fact that we are God-created. Okay, we, God, didn't, God didn't just let things happen. Look, look at it. It's not Christian evolution. Okay? God didn't see some slimy green thing slide up on the seashore and go, whoo, there's my son. (laughs) He didn't do that. God was deliberate and on purpose. And he came and he formed man like I told you, and then he breathed into him. And then from that day on, man has passed on to every man, woman, and child the essence of that breath. Because that breath is eternal. That breath does not dissipate. That breath does not fade. It travels. It's eternal. It's self-propelling. It, is, it, is, it powers itself. It causes itself to live. And it transfers. So here we are now thousands of years down the road since the day of creation. And we too carry the same level of the essence of God in our lives. That's what separates us. So therefore, there is an inherent power in every man, woman, and child in creation, regardless if they know Jesus or not, by sheer fact that they are human. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? So therefore, there is a power, there is a spiritual. See, listen, church, you are a spirit that lives in a body that possesses a soul. This thing right here, this is, this is just your, it's just the housing. It's the container. Now, it's important, don't get me wrong, your container is important and we should care for it. And Jesus, by his stripes, made provision to bring healing to the container because he understands the container can affect the soul and the spirit. But listen to me, you are a spirit. And there's power inherent in you. And when you speak, the Bible says the power of life and death are in your tongue. And when you speak, you can create atmospheres. You can create a reality. But the problem is, is when we forget that power, we become very casual with our speech, with our communication. This is something that's talked about all through the Word of God. It's amazing how much God talks about how we are talking. It's a very inter- there's an interesting passage of Scripture, a verse. It's found in Psalms 50. It's the last verse, and I'm not sure what the number is, but it is the last verse. It says this, and it's in the King James. It says it this way. And this is why I want you to hear it. He says, to him that orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Now what's interesting about that is in the Elizabethan English, in Old English back in the 15 and 1600s, the word conversation was less about communication and much more about behavior. Because when you fast forward into modern English, you'll find that the proper translation of the, of the Hebrew word there is behavior. So he who orders his behavior aright, to him I will show the salvation of the Lord. What you do and what you say are communicating. This is not just about the spoken word. It's how you live your life. See, the reality is, church, what you say is not always what you're trying to say. (laughs) Your body language, your tone of voice. They say in communication, they say the the, the biggest thing about communication, the largest portion of communication is body language. The second one is tone tone of voice. And the last one is content, the words you actually speak. And so what does that mean? Why are we saying this? We are always communicating. And this is what he's talking about. He's saying, look at, I want you to pay attention to how you are communicating. I want you to pay attention to what's going on. What are you communicating? What is your life speaking? Because it has power. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is something that God has been concerned about for a long time. It's not something that's new. In fact, we go all the way back and and we can look from Genesis all the way to Revelation and you're going to find God speaking to his people and admonishing them, pay attention to how you talk. Pay attention to what you do. And here's the thing that I want to say to you. The thing that I want to communicate to you is you have so much inherent power in your life to change your life. Or... You have so much power in your life 
to cripple your life by the way you speak. Nathan Hopkins came into my office this morning and God had just moved on him in prayer time. It's funny because I do pay attention to when God's moving on people. And he came in and he goes, he goes, how was 830 service? I said, it was good. He goes, just good. He had revival in the prayer room. God was speaking to him. God was moving. He says, what I want to do, and, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of letting him out of the bag here a little bit. but So if you see this happen, just know that this is happening. He goes, I wanted to wave a white flag and pound the drum. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to declare the word of God. And it moved on me so much that I want to shift this sermon a little bit. And I want to talk about declaration. I want to talk about how we declare and decree things into existence. See, in the sermon that I wrote, I was going to talk about the problem areas, things like negative words. If you're, t- if you're talking negatively, stop it. Sarcasm. If you're, if you're sarcastic, stop it. Complaining. All the complainers, please, no, don't, please don't, stand up. Stop it. And am I all, the all-famous one, profanity. Stop it. You're better than that. Anybody could talk that way. So I shifted. So the folks at 8.30 are going to have to watch this. And I wanted to talk about declaration. And the reason that I want to talk about declaration is because declaration is a very powerful part of the reality of our Christian experience. God gives us the power to declare and to decree his kingdom in this earth. We, the Bible says that we are ambassadors unto God. That we have been sent. We are sojourners. We're traveling through this earth. We are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We're traveling through. And while we are traveling through, it is our assignment and our anointing to bring change to this world. To bring the kingdom of God to bear on the affairs of men. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a declaration of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, whatever is going on there in that realm, make it happen here in this realm. The reason this is so important is because we can change the world. You know, we are living in days right now where I think a lot of people are, are looking around. We've just come through a pandemic that greatly upset our lives. We still don't really know heads or tails of what really happened. All we know is that we were forced into lockdowns and wearing masks and taking vaccines and doing all kinds of things. And we had to trust people that don't have the greatest track record of trust. And, and right, wrong, or indifferent, wherever you fell on the side 
of what to do. We, we did it because we felt that it was right. But at the, at the end of the day, there was nobody that could say, well, I have this answer that's foolproof. Now we are moving into where there is the threat of, I never thought, I never thought in my lifetime, I never did, that we would actually say something like, we could be in World War III. How will that affect us? In the last three days, gas has gone up 80 cents. I stopped driving my truck. I'm now taking Kathy to work and we're driving our little rat car. Say, why is that? It's because there was an advertisement with, they had little rats driving it. Anyway. He said, why is that? Well, it's not because I'm afraid to drive the truck. It's because somewhere along the line, I, I, I want to work. I want to be a good steward over what I have. So once again, there are things that are happening. And it seems like, is this world getting out of control? And who exactly is going to rise up and stop this nonsense? And everybody's looking for somebody. Well, church, I declare to you that you should look in the mirror because you are the one invested with the power to bring a stop to this nonsense. You say, what are you saying? I know, I I get it. We're still a little hesitant. Really? I can stop World War III? God can stop World War III. He just needs a voice. He needs somebody that will declare his will and his purpose in the world. He needs somebody that will stand up and says, world, listen to the word of God. This is what the word of God says. Jesus stood up in the boat when the storm was raging. The wind and the waves were contrary. The water was flooding in. They were about to die. They were about to sink. But Jesus stands up from asleep and says, peace, be still. And the storm calmed. The wind stopped, the waves calmed down. Why? Because Jesus understood the power of declaration. He said, well, that's Jesus. You know, he's the son of God and he's God and all of that. Yes, he is. But he gave you and I that power. He says, speak my word. He says, you can have what you say. See, church, the problem is, is we just don't, we just don't, buy into it. We just don't. That's why, that's, see, because we don't buy into the power, that's why we're negative. Because if you really did buy into the power, you wouldn't talk the way you do. Because you would know, man, I am, I, it's like taking a machine gun and just in your house. You're wondering why the roof's leaking. Well, you're shooting holes in it. What's why is my boat sinking? Well, stop chopping holes in the bottom of the boat with your words. Speak to the storm. Speak to your life. Speak to your children. Believe it or not, when my kids were little, particularly my boys, we did it with Amy, but it was a little different with girls, but with the boys, when they were asleep, we went into their bedroom and we said, you will be men of God. You will serve in the kingdom of God. You will rise up and you will do something in the kingdom. Now, whether they had public pulpit ministry, that was up to God, but they were going to be men of God. Whether they were lawyers or doctors or or garbage men or ditch diggers or framers or whatever they were, they were going to be men of God because we declared it over them. 
We still declare things over our lives. We still declare over our children. Jason is 32, going on 33, and we still speak over his life. We speak over Courtney, Andy, and Shay. We speak now. Now we're speaking over the grandbabies. We speak over Oliver and Titus and, and, and Owen and Wyatt and, and, and the baby. I'm not supposed to say his name, but we call out his name right now. We do. Why? Because there's power in it. Begin to speak to your checkbook. Look at it and go, you will be full. A few years back, this is probably about four years ago now. It's probably been about four years. Pastor Alex uh, uh, recommended a book to me about a guy, it's an autobiography by a guy named, you might have heard of him, his name is Reinhard Bunke. And Reinhard Bunke <clears throat> had a tremendous ministry. He went to Africa and, and, uh, and he, had, he, he now is the record holder of the largest single night attendance. The largest single night attendance in a crusade was 2.1 million people. They, they actually have pictures of it. It's, 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 it's breathtaking. And I don't know if you understand, 2.1 million people is almost the size of Phoenix. So Phoenix came out to the crusade, you know. Hundreds and hundreds, millions. I think at last count they had like 57 million salvations through his ministry. You know, signed cards where they can identify who these people are. Well, Reinhard Bunke, grew, he was born in 1945, and, and uh, right at the tail end of the, the, the war and, and uh, all that was going on, and, and, and he grew up and went to Bible school. He went to a Bible school where they were taught to believe God. They were taught that the only money, you could not have a job, and you had to believe God for your needs, your necessities. So you paid tuition, and your tuition paid for your room and your board and some school supplies. Everything else you had to believe God for. And here was the rules. You could tell no one about your need. You couldn't say, hey, I got a prayer request, because sometimes prayer requests are veiled asking somebody else for money. The only way that you could share your need is if it was a shared need. And so literally, they had to believe God for bus fare. They would leave the school. They would go into town, which was several miles down the road. They'd have to ride the bus. They'd have to believe for bus fare to get on the bus to get into town. And they'd have to believe God for bus fare to get back. And one day he tells this story that he was standing at the bus stop and he stands there and the first bus comes and the bus driver opens the door, looks at him, are you getting on? He goes, nope, because he doesn't have any money. And so the bus goes and he's praying. He says, God, I need, I need money. And so all of a sudden, a, a friend, a pastor, friend of his comes up and says, hey, would you like to go get a cup of tea? And they said, yes. Yeah. So they go across the street to a restaurant and they're having a cup of tea and he's thinking, oh, okay, this is it. This is how God's going to do it. This, this guy's going to give me bus fare and I'm going to get back. So when the, when the bill came, he opens up his wallet and there's a bunch of money. He pulls out the money to pay the bill and off he goes and no bus fare. So Reinhardt goes back out to the bus stop. Four, five, six, seven buses, several hours later. He's standing there and he's waiting. He believes in God. Finally, a woman walks up to him 
angry, just mad. You, Reinhardt Bunky? He goes, yes, I am. She goes, then take this money and get out of my face. God won't leave me alone until you have this. And it was the exact amount of money, it was the exact amount of money he needed for bus fare. Now fast forward, he's out of school, he's actually in ministry, and God puts it on him to believe him, believe God, for a tent that will seat 40,000 people. A tent. The center mass pole is 10 stories tall. Now, in Africa, in the United States, that's a tall order, but in Africa, it's almost impossible because you've got to haul that tent, and it takes several semis and a crew of 100 people to set it up. So not only did he have to believe God for the tent, he had to believe God for the wherewithal to be able to put the tent up so they could have people in it. And he believed God, and he got it. They had the semis, they had the workers, they had all that. They went to this one area for a crusade and they were told, the people said, you can't go here, the devil lives here and he's going to blow your tent down. That's what they were told. They put up the tent, they had an awesome crusade that night. Thousands of people saved, people touched by God, healed all this stuff. Reinhardt's driving away and just as he's driving away, a storm rises up and blows the thing down. And he's sitting there and he's going, oh no. And God says, I just wanted to show you that I could do it. I just wanted you to know. He goes, the tent is too small. You're thinking, too small, Reinhardt. Needless to say, throughout Reinhardt's ministry, this kind of thing. So that stirred me. That stirred me and I made a decision And I said, you know what, God, I am not going to use my inspiration, my human inspiration to facilitate financially what we want to do in this church. But I am going to believe you and I'm going to declare that it's here. When we went through the pandemic, the first year of the pandemic, when churches were closing, we had record giving. 2021 outdid 2020. And we're on pace to outdo 2021. And do you notice, this was the scary thing, the pandemic, because nobody could pass a plate during the pandemic, because apparently COVID lives in an offering plate. I'm being facetious. We moved the, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. So my wife sometimes liked the Holy Spirit, you know. <laughs> I'm not supposed to do sarcasm. But we took the offering box and we stopped passing the plate and we put it in the back. For a preacher, that's scary. You know why? I want to shake that plate right in front of you. <laughs> Cough it up. In, Af- in Africa, when I was there one time, Andy, could, Andy and Shay, we, we went and... and and they counted the offering seven times. And because the first six weren't enough. So he said, when we get the number, when you folks cough it up and we got our number, we'll get out of this offering. Now that's African culture. We wouldn't do that here. 
But the reality is we begin to declare, we begin to decree, and we begin to believe God, and we begin to speak his word. God is a God of more than enough. God is a God that is our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide my every need. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, And my God is able to cause all grace to abound towards you, so that you having all sufficiency in all things would have an abundance for every good work. We started to pray that and declare that and decree that. And you know what? There is not only enough, there is more than enough. Not only have we been able to meet every need here, we have been able to meet needs around the world. We have been able to do things that we thought we never could do because God is our provider. We begin to declare and decree, and now we are moving into the places of healing and salvation. We are beginning to decree salvation and declare salvation over certain areas of the city. We are believing God for healing. We are believing God for bodies to be raised from the dead and blind eyes and deaf ears open. We are believing God, that people will be set free. And we're believing that because we're declaring it because it is his word. Church, that's what he wants us to do. We spend so much time in the negative. Well, I don't don't know if I'm going to have enough. No, there's more than enough. There's more than enough. Oh, and we've, and trust me, like this whole offering thing, uh, there's been, we've, we've taken offerings that we didn't even have enough to even pay the electric bill. And you sit there and you look at that and you go, okay, and God's like, how are you going to respond? Am I still more than enough? Are you going to go by what you see? Are you going to go by what I said? What are you going to do? And it has been an exercise of training in faith. And I declare to you and I say to you that that's what you need to do. You need to speak it out. Now look it. This is where sometimes this can go sideways. Because there's people that have taken this philosophy and this doctrine and they've made it about selfish gain. And they have taken it into a place where, you know what, they just want to uh, amass resources around themselves. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about walking in the Spirit of God declaring and decreeing the truth of his word that he has said so that we can be the people of God in the world, so that we can be the ones changing the atmosphere around us, so that we can change what Kingman's all about, so that we could see the drug addict free, so that we can see the alcoholic set free, so that we could see marriages that are falling apart restored, so that we could see wayward children coming back to their parents, so that we could see healed bodies so that we could see the infirmed set free. That's what God's looking for. That's what we want. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Lots of people, they ask me, and I'll close with this, and if Jason wants to come, lots of people ask me, what can I do? And sometimes we get kind of caught up in that thing of, you know, if I do something physical, well, there are things that we need to do. There are, you know, we need to clean and take care of stuff and do things. But let me tell you, church, the thing that we need more than anything is we need a praying church that will declare the Word of God in faith. We need a praying church that will declare the Word of God in faith. And church, let me, let me just assure you, I'm not, I'm not preaching something that has come easy to me. 
It hasn't. I'm the type of person that does look at the bottom line. I'm the type of person that wants to try to figure it out. I'm the type of person that wants to have all the ducks in a row so everything's perfect, so we know exactly what to do, where to go, how to do it. But that's not how God operates. God often, God often does not tell us the end of the story because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to lean on him. Well, the one thing that we have that helps us to do that is his word. Here is the thing that I know. God's faithful to his word. He is not a liar and his word will come to pass. So find it in his word. If you're struggling in your marriage, go find a word, ask God. Say, God, give me a verse, something that I can speak. If you have children that are going wayward, ask God for a word. If you have finances that there's just not enough, ask God for a word. Ask him for a verse and then speak it until you see it. So how long do I speak it? Until it comes, because it is coming. What if it's 10 years? Speak it. Abraham changed his name for 25 years. He's walking around telling people, yeah, I'm father of many nations. Well, how many kids you got? None. How old are you? Seems like you're running out of time there, Abraham. He spoke it. Look at Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 4. Abraham didn't waver at the promise of God. But that, that was Abraham's part. But then it says of God, he who spoke those things that were not as though they were. My grandchildren are saved. My great-grandchildren are saved. My father, my dad, John Poole Sr., was a Christian. He was not a pastor, but for 20-some years, he was a chaplain in the jail. I am now John Poole, the third, the second, actually. And I'm a pastor. Sitting right over there taking a picture of me is Andrew John Poole, who's a pastor. He's third-generation minister. Now, it's my hope that whatever Oliver does in his life, doesn't matter if he's an engineer, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what he does, that he will be the fourth-generation man of God. You can be a man of God and still do other things. You don't have to be behind the pulpit. And we're speaking it now. We're speaking over that baby. We speak over Amy every day. We speak over that baby. Many of you remember Courtney's baby, how much trouble they had. Can I share this, Jay? Is it okay? Can, is it all right? He, he, he had two or three or four holes in his heart when he was born. Because of the birth, he ended up pushing on, on Courtney's pelvis and it put a dent in his head that was pretty significant. He had other things going on with his kidneys and his heart rate was 
off the charts. But Kathy and I had been declaring and decreeing and praying over that baby from the time we found out she was pregnant. And I called her up and I said, that baby is whole. He's normal. And now he is, he's crawling and he's, he's crawling and he smiles and he's happy and there's no dent in his head. And you know what? They took him to the doctor and there are no holes in his heart. That little medical journey cost them, they were billed, I believe, $305,000. 81000 just in the helicopter ride. There's a lot cheaper ways they ride helicopters in Vegas, a lot cheaper than 81000 Jason calls me up and he says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, we're just going to believe God. I believe everything's paid now, except what, about 3000 Everything got written off. $302,000 wiped away. Because we declared it. We declared it. So I speak that over you. And I challenge you, start speaking. I know there's impossible situations and they look bad and they look horrible. Speak to it. This will change. I speak God into this situation. Holy Spirit, into it. And if you don't know what to say, find a verse. And if you can't find a verse, speak any verse, because it's all powerful. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God will change your life. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us this truth, this revelation. And Father, I pray, God, that you help us. I pray, God, that you instruct us in this. Father, challenge us. Father, as we go into our own homes today, I pray that, Lord, that you would remind us, God, to speak your word. Lord, that we would not be flippant about how we speak, but we would understand the power, God, of the words that we speak. And, Father, that we would speak those things, God, that you say so that they will come to pass. Lord, that we would not put our eyes on things seen, but we would put our hearts on the thing that is unseen, knowing it's eternal. God, that we would speak those things that are not as though they are. And, Father, we give you the glory for it. We give you the honor. In Jesus' name. And I wonder as every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if that's you, would you lift your hand today? Would you lift it up all across this place? Say, I need Jesus as my Savior. I need him to come into my life. If you're watching online, just pray with us. Just, just take this moment and say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. Would you all pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive your life in exchange for mine. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to, uh, as everybody just remains seated, I'm going to ask the ministry team if they would come real quick. And I want to explain something before we get moving. A lot of Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.